Well, good evening. This evening we continue in our series of studies in the book of Proverbs. You can turn with me to Proverbs chapter 28. We'll be looking at two chapters this evening. They're going to go by pretty quickly because a lot of this is a a recap of a lot of the things we've talked about already. Additionally, these particular chapters are are sort of grouped. The, the, The Proverbs are grouped together to make a point. So rather than looking at the individual Proverbs so much, we're going to actually look at a a series of Proverbs and then really just contemplate and meditate on the lesson that we're being taught. Uh, These Proverbs, especially in chapter 28, talk about the fact that the wicked, the wicked, because we know in the world there's the wicked and the righteous, right? The righteous who are in Christ and the wicked who are rejecting Christ in his ways and his word. The wicked are always going to look to live lives of trouble. If you haven't seen this already, and a lot of what we're going to talk about in this chapter in particular kind of maps out and identifies the the trouble we're in today in our nation and in our culture. But the wicked, they live lives of trouble. They feed on problems and trouble. They make trouble, and wherever there is trouble, they exacerbate it. They make it worse. And this contrasts those who are wise, those who live lives of understanding and wisdom. So in our world today, you have people that are wise and understanding and kind and compassionate, like many Christians uh, try to be, strive to be. For doing that, for adopting that way of thinking, you're you're basically called an extremist. Uh, An extremist, yes, an extremist. If you protest at a college campus and support terrorists, you're not an extremist. At least by today's standards, uh, you are simply protesting. You burn down a city. You're, you're not an extremist. But if you hold to the biblical worldview, if you believe that abortion is murder, if you believe that there are two genders, uh, male and female, as God created us, if you believe that there's a right and a wrong and you believe in treating others with kindness and seeking God and, and building your life on your faith and living that faith out in today's world, you are called an extremist by those who are wicked. So we can get outraged or we can realize that the Bible's told us this in advance. We know that this is true. So we're going to see the wicked live lives of trouble, while those who live lives of understanding look to bring peace, love, and righteousness to a culture. And yet, so many times, those who look to do these things are labeled extremists or genocidal in their ambitions. I can only think about some of what's happening in our world today and realize that it seems like Anthony opened up in in his prayer, you know, They're calling evil good and good evil. Uh, We shouldn't be surprised. The Bible tells us that this would be so in increasing magnitude as the end is drawing near. So this evening, I think you'll be encouraged to know that God has told us in advance all of the things that will happen in our world as we rapidly approach Christ's coming again. Let's pray. Lord Heavenly Father, we look to you to be encouraged this evening. Even though the subject is difficult, Uh, to digest. We do know that there's comfort in knowing that you know all things, that you've prepared our hearts to endure these things, and that you have an answer. And the answer is the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives to enable us and empower us to live your word in this world. And though many will reject, some will respond. And we pray that the world would respond to the message of the gospel, the message of Jesus coming and dying on the cross for our sins and being raised from the dead to give us newness of life. 
for there's only hope in him and in no other. And Lord, the world definitely needs hope, and hope can be found in Christ. So give us the ability to share that message. May we share that message faithfully, and may we do it in a way that uh, shows not only your word in terms of judgment, but certainly, most importantly, your love for this world. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so in chapter 28, let's look at just the first verse, sort of sets the tone. We read there in chapter 28 and in verse 1 that the wicked man flees, though no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. Now that's the way it's supposed to be. Sadly, in today's world and in today's church, I'm seeing the opposite sometimes. I'm seeing the wicked uh, emboldened and empowered, and, and unfortunately, the righteous in Christ fleeing though no one pursues. It's sad. It's sad when the church is cowardly. It's sad when we fear man more than we fear God. A lot of that will come out in today's study, that we're need, we need to be bold as lions, a bold, as bold as a lion. A lion doesn't have too many other creatures to fear. And you and I, we don't even need to fear the roaring lion that goes about seeking to devour us, who is Satan. We have the lion of the tribe of Judah, living in us by faith through the power of the Holy Spirit. The boldness that should be in the church, sadly, we see it in the world and not in the church. But that boldness doesn't come from anger, it comes from love. And that boldness empowers us, the power of the Spirit, to to preach the truth in love. And that is certainly important. So the wicked man flees though no one pursues. That is, people typically become somewhat paranoid if they're doing something wrong. They're looking over their shoulder. I can remember when I was a young person, and, you know, the, the police would drive by, and right away we panicked, even if we weren't doing anything wrong, but which didn't usually happen. Most of the time we were doing something wrong. And so you have this sort of looking over your shoulder, and that accurately describes a person who's living a life of wickedness. But notice again, the righteous are as bold as a lion. You can be a, as bold as a lion, because you are doing the right things. You have nothing to fear, nothing to fear at all. If you fear God, you, have, you need not fear man. Okay, so now we're going to see that the wicked, they bring a lot of trouble into our world. This is no surprise. Look at verse 2. When a country is rebellious, it has many rulers. That is, many people who influence it, Right? But a man of understanding and knowledge maintains order. A ruler who oppresses the poor is like a driving rain that leaves no crops. Those who forsake the law praise the wicked, but those who keep the law resist them. Evil men do not understand justice, but those who seek the Lord understand it fully. Now, all of this points to one singular truth, and it's this, that the wicked are going to incite chaos which they do, disorder, oppression, and injustice. And so on one side of our culture today, that's exactly what we see. And when a country is rebellious, and not all of our nation, but a large percentage of our nation is rebellious, and so it has many rulers, that is many voices, many leaders. Right now, more than ever at any time, we don't have one leader speaking for us as a whole. We have leaders speaking for one side, leaders speaking for the other, and there's no unity, no consensus. And the, the greatest danger we face as a culture today is our division. And yet there's not that much we can do about it because more and more people are choosing to be rebellious. More and more people are choosing to be wicked. 
But we still need to be bold. Bold as a lion. We still need to stand our ground. Notice a man of understanding and knowledge maintains order. The contrast is you may have many rulers, but in a nation that's strong, you have a ruler, a person of understanding and knowledge, and they can maintain order. That is an accurate description of what a country should be, maintaining order, justice, what's right, what's wrong. When you contrast to what we see today, different states interpret different things as right and wrong. Uh, Our nation as a whole, uh, apparently our leaders think it's okay to lie with impunity and uh, take bribes and be corrupt. That seems to be standard fare. And so this is the contrast we see in today's uh, world. Notice a ruler who oppresses the poor is like driving rain that leaves no crops. You're, you're destroying your, your own people. And that's what we see today through, through things like inflation and this ridiculous climate agenda, which does nothing but waste money. We see it's like a driving rain. It's taking away every bit of our prosperity. I believe it's by design. I believe it's by design, because those who are wicked really, truly want us to fail and to fall. They want to replace the system we have with one that gives them the power and takes it away from us. Notice, those who forsake law praise the wicked. Now, that's so true, right? If you forsake law, the law that says when someone commits a crime, they should be imprisoned, uh, then all you do is praise the wicked, let them out the next day to go and do more wickedness, but in contrast, those who keep the law resist them. And so here we are, we see this, this line down the middle between the wicked and the righteous. And we really truly feel this today in our world, in our culture. It feels like there's, there's right and there's wrong. Now, I grew up at a time when it was kind of vague. We lived in a gray world for many decades where, you know, people said things were right. They didn't necessarily do them. They said things were wrong. They did wrong, but they kind of did it in secret. Now... The gloves are off. There's wrong and there's right. And of course, as Christians, living according to God's word, we want to find ourselves on the side of God and his word. Regardless of the consequences, we have to live our lives for him. Amen? Notice evil men in verse 5 do not understand justice. This is just so true. I oftentimes say, I don't understand. How could they be promoting this? Well, the answer is right here. Evil men do not understand justice. But notice, Those who seek the Lord understand it fully. So if you feel isolated and alone and you feel like you understand what's happening, but it doesn't seem like half the world out there does, the book of Proverbs tells us that these things are true. And this is a real problem in our culture today. You know, it's it's tough. It's a tough world to live in. Our kids are growing up in a world that's that's twisted. But uh, it's not all bad news, but there is a lot of bad news, isn't there? Okay, so look at verse 6. In verses 6 through 10, we see that the wicked live perversely, disgracefully, uncharitably, unlawfully, and deceitfully. A further description of them in verse 6, better a poor man whose walk is blameless than a rich man whose ways are perverse. He who keeps the law is a discerning son, but a companion of gluttons disgraces his father. He who increases his wealth by exorbitant interest amasses it for another who will be kind to the poor. That's speaking of God getting involved at some point to judge that person. And then whatever they've amassed, it will go back to the poor. If anyone turns a deaf ear to the law, even his prayers are detestable. That's interesting. Even his prayers are detestable. He who leads the upright along an evil path will fall into his own trap 
but the blameless will receive a good inheritance. So we're encouraged to know that God is in control. And things will work out eventually in God's economy. But in the meantime, until God's judgment comes, we're experiencing a lot of these things described here because the wicked are in control. The wicked have way too much influence in our world. They control the media. Uh, they control the government. And uh, it's not a political party issue. I mean, there's wicked people on both sides of the equation, both sides of the argument and the debate. Now, I have to say this. I was pleasantly, wonderfully surprised to see the election of Mike Johnson as our Speaker of the House. Now, I didn't know too much about him, but I've since listened to a few of his speeches, listened to the man speak, and I thought to myself, how in the world did we end up with such a great Speaker of the House? For a while there, it looked like we were never going to have one, and then when everything came out in the wash, we ended up with an evangelical, born-again Christian who stands up for his faith. Not a perfect man, but all the... All the all the media can do to criticize him is to point out his Christian faith and call him an extremist for it. You know what? That more than likely means he's a real good man. So there you go. How did that happen? I don't even, I'm looking back, I'm like, how did that happen? I don't even know how that happened. But it happened. If that can happen, there's hope to get someone in the White House, right, who, who can lead us. There's, there's hope for our nation if that can happen. And God is in control. Amen. So this is actually an encouraging chapter, though we're talking about the wicked. As I look at our world today, we, we have to maintain hope. We have to continue to put our trust in God. Amen? So where did I leave off? Over here, in uh, we just read through verse 10. One of the things that you see here in, in a wicked society, uh, you, you know, there's poor people who are blameless, and then there's rich people who are perverse. That happens in a corrupt society. And... Keeping the law means that you're wise. That is, living according to God's word. But hanging out with sinners like gluttons and those that just give themselves over to their flesh, that disgraces your family. It disgraces all those around you, really. And if you increase your wealth by exorbitant interest, MasterCard and Visa, actually it's the banks that do it. They just use that name. But, you know, the banks charging exorbitant interest? I mean, my goodness, I, some of the interest rates I've seen... Uh, I personally don't think 5 and 6%, 7% is, is all that high for a mortgage. We're, we're, we're a little spoiled. We were used to like 2s and 3s. But, but, I mean, some of these credit cards charge them between 20 and 30%, right? I mean, that's exorbitant, right? And we're told here that if you increase your wealth by doing this, you amass it for another who will be kind to the poor. So when God's judgment comes, all of that wealth, all of those resources, God will redistribute. And we talk a lot about redistribution, but one day God is going to redistribute all that wealth, and it's going to be done properly and wisely and justly. If anyone turns a deaf ear to the law, even his prayers are detestable. Uh, listen, listen, if you think that you can just sort of pray and yet not really follow God's word and that God is going to somehow respond to your prayers, I'm not saying God doesn't hear them, but how sincere could they possibly be if you're not living according to God's word, right? I mean, that's just a simple truth. I think of a scripture in Psalm 66. I had it here in my notes, 66 verse 18. Uh, it says this. The writer writes, If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But surely, well, God has surely listened and heard my voice in prayer. Praise be to God who has not rejected my prayer or withheld his love from me. 
So you see, if you cherish sin in your heart, if you're a big phony, you know, don't expect God to respond to those prayers. All right, so now we get to verses 11 and 12. Speaking of the wicked, in contrast with the righteous, a rich man may be wise in his own eyes, but a poor man who has discernment sees through him. And that's true. Verse 12, when the righteous triumph, there is great elation. But when the wicked rise to power, men go into hiding. And this is a description of any society at any time. When the wicked are in control, you know, people just, they just try to stay out of trouble. When the righteous are in control and leading us, people are excited about the hope that we might have uh, making our nation great and doing wonderful things, not just for ourselves, but for others. So as I look at that description, I realize this, this is true about the wicked. The wicked are uncovered. They're uncovered by the discerning, even though they're openly feared by many. And we start, are starting to see some of the wickedness and corruption in our world, and especially in our nation, slowly but surely being uncovered. And I certainly pray it gets shouted from the rooftops, and we start to see the wickedness in the lives of those that, quote-unquote, lead us, uh, exposed so that justice can be done. And that is in God's hands. Uh, God certainly sees all. We only see some. He sees all. And all of God's judgment is according to his will. So, verses 13 through 16, here we see that he who conceals his sin does not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. And this is a beautiful verse because it basically says it all. Everyone has sin in their lives, but it's the person that conceals their sin or pretends as if they don't have sin, or refuses to acknowledge it, they do not prosper. But notice, if you confess and renounce, you find mercy. That's the message of the gospel here in the Old Testament, but it's still the message of the gospel. And so we go on in verse 14. Blessed is the man who always fears the Lord, but he who hardens his heart falls into trouble. Like a roaring lion or a charging bear is a wicked man ruling over a helpless people. A tyrannical ruler lacks judgment, but he who hates ill-gotten gain will enjoy a long life. So clearly God's blessings are upon the righteous and his judgment against the wicked. It's hard, though, at certain times, like now, because it doesn't seem that way. Why do the wicked prosper, Asaph would say. The psalmist would try to figure that out. You know, I mean, there are times when prophets looked into these things and they just couldn't figure out why in the world was God allowing the wicked to prosper. I want you to take a step back as if you could trust God. I say that facetiously. And think for a minute. Can you trust God? Does God really know what he's doing? And if so, we can trust the process. We can trust that God is working all things together for good. And, you know, I always say it this way. When the comeuppance comes, when it actually happens, you look and you realize, oh, God was working all along. That's my great hope. That's why I don't walk around in despair with my head hung low thinking the end of the world is around the corner. Hey, listen, if Christ comes, this world will end and the new kingdom will begin. Amen? That's good. But I don't walk around in despair. I'm not a doom and gloom prophet. I don't walk around waiting for the terrible things to happen, hoping they will. I don't do that. I still have a lot of hope because, you know what? There are a lot of people who were considered righteous in Christ. 
And God will do whatever he deems best in and through our lives. So back to what we just read uh, in verses uh, 13 through 16. The wicked are unwilling to repent. They are ruthless and they are tyrannical. It is easy to identify the wicked. They are always behaving in this way. And when we went through the COVID years, those that seized power and tried to control other people's lives showed themselves for who they really are. And those who didn't showed themselves for who they really are. So sometimes a crisis can really truly identify the wicked clearly and the righteous as well. So don't despair. I guess that's the message this evening. Okay, verses 17 through 18. A man tormented by the guilt of murder will be a fugitive till death and let no one support him. He whose walk is blameless is kept safe, but he whose ways are perverse will suddenly fall. So there are a lot of very perverse people in our world today. And notice, they suddenly fall. The idea is that you don't think they're going to get it, and then they do. And so when some of these individuals are finally going to reap the consequences of their wickedness, we'll be able to look at it as God's righteous people and say, well, he gave them an opportunity to repent and they didn't. And so he brought his judgment. And we don't celebrate, so to to speak. I mean, maybe I do, but um, (laughs) I'm kidding. We don't celebrate when people get it. But as righteous people, we celebrate righteousness and justice. So we're not happy that the person had to be judged, but we are happy with God's justice. I don't, I don't think it's wrong to say that. And I'm looking forward to some of God's judgment in our world to that degree. So what you see is the wicked are plagued with guilt, because whether they've committed murder or something else, uh, they know deep down inside that they've done something wrong. Uh, they have no refuge. They have no place to go. They can't find peace. And they're fearful of being uncovered. And that's what's described in verses 17 through 18. Sooner or later, they know they're going to get it. They can run, but they can't hide. That's the point. Okay, verses 19 through 22. He who works his land will have abundant food, but the one who chases fantasies will have his fill of poverty. A faithful man will be richly blessed, but one eager to get rich will not go unpunished. The idea being he would do something wrong to get rich. To show partiality is not good, yet a man will do wrong for a piece of bread. That is, if he's hungry. A stingy man is eager to get rich and is unaware that poverty awaits him. I just love this this chapter because it just, it's like putting on special glasses that allow you to see things as they really are, right? Now, remember, I mean, I suppose they still have these... uh, glasses for 3D movies, although I don't think 3D movies are all that big anymore, but for a while there, they were making a comeback, and you know, you paid an extra couple bucks, and you went to see it in uh, 3D, and you wore these glasses, and if you didn't, everything was blurry, but when you wore the glasses, you could see things very clearly. I feel like sometimes a, a chapter like this is like putting on glasses, and suddenly we see things as they really are. This is why studying God's Word is so vitally important. Because if you're not in God's word regularly, you're not going to see things. Everything's going to be blurry. You're going to see things and they're going to look distorted and you're going to think that God isn't in control and you're going to come to all the wrong conclusions. But don't. Stay in God's word. He'll give you the wisdom and the eyesight or the foresight to see what is really happening in our world. So we see in these verses that the wicked are preoccupied with selfish gain. 
They're only thinking about themselves. But they're destined to suffer substantial loss. And that's God's economy. If you're generous and giving, you'll reap the blessings of being generous and, and being giving. But if you're stingy, if you hold back, if you think of only yourself, eventually you'll come up short. Look at verses 20 through 25, 23 through 25. He who rebukes a man will in the end gain more favor than he who has a flattering tongue. He who robs his father or mother and says it's not wrong, he is partner to him who destroys. And a greedy man stirs up dissension, but he who trusts in the Lord will prosper. So again, we have that balance, that balanced viewpoint, the perspective we so vitally need in this world today, the eternal perspective, the spiritual perspective that teaches us this truth, that the wicked are willing to say anything. They are willing to rob anyone, even their own family, even their parents. They're willing to wrong anyone for selfish gain. This much is clear. Verses 26 through 28, he who trusts in himself is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom is kept safe. He who gives to the poor will lack nothing, but he who closes his eyes to them receives many curses. And finally, we'll just finish it out. When the wicked rise to power, people go into hiding, but when the wicked perish, the righteous thrive. So when God brings about his judgment, that's when we thrive. Whether we're talking about a change in a a national culture or the Lord's return, when these things happen, when things are the way they're supposed to be, we will see the righteous as righteous, and we will thrive. But the wicked won't. We know in the end we win, right? We know that, right? You know that you've read the end of the Bible, I'm sure, by now, right? You know that in the end we win. You know, sometimes you'll watch a movie or read a book, and some twisted person has written a book where in the end the the righteous don't win or the the evil thrives. I I don't know why anyone would want to read a book like that. I'm not saying it has to be a happy ending, but I I, I certainly like when good comes out on top, you know, in a story or a movie. I'm a little disappointed when we get to the end and the hero dies. You know, I'm not so thrilled with a story like that. We know what the Bible teaches about the righteous. So we have to hold on to these truths and not lose faith. We do know this, that the self-reliant, unsympathetic, are those who are wicked. They're unsympathetic to others. They're only thinking of themselves. They rely on themselves, as it says there in verse 26, he who trusts in himself is a fool. A lot of fools out there putting all their trust in themselves and not in God. And they're shunned. Ultimately, these leaders are shunned by their subjects. They ultimately find themselves forgotten by those they lead. And uh, I've I've thought a lot lot recently about the history of our our leaders. And I look back over the last couple hundred years, and there there are presidents and leaders who, at the time, people thought maybe they weren't so good. And they found out later, actually, they were pretty good. There's plenty that people thought were okay, and only to find out later that they found out that uh, they were pretty wicked. So I think we're probably going to see some of that happen in our world, hopefully soon. So all of that teaches us that these types of people will be judged. Okay, so the wicked. That should give you hope. A chapter like that should help you to see things as they really are. Now here's another encouragement. In chapter 29, we're told that the wise will choose wisdom while the wicked will choose trouble. 
And it's, it's, you know, we choose to be wise, they choose to be unwise. It's very simple. Look at verse uh, 1. We'll start it off here in chapter 29. A man who remains stiff-necked, that is stubborn, after many rebukes, will suddenly be destroyed without remedy. And again, that gives me hope because there are some people that just won't listen to reason. Certain leaders that just don't get it, no matter how many times they see the results of their bad decisions. And I believe that a stubborn person like that eventually will be destroyed. Thankfully, because we don't want people like this leading our nation. Well, we see in verse 2 that our choices, what we choose to do, and the more influence you have, the more, true, the more impactful your choices are. But it is so true that our choices affect everyone, everyone around us. And this is brought out in verses 2 through 11. I'm going to read the whole section. When the righteous thrive, the people rejoice. When the wicked rule, the people groan. Have you groaned lately? A man who loves wisdom brings joy to his father, but a companion of prostitutes squanders his wealth. By justice, a king gives a country stability, but one who is greedy for bribes tears it down. Sound familiar? Whoever flatters his neighbor is spreading a net for his feet. You see, two things are true there in verse 5. They're spreading a net to try to catch their neighbor, but ultimately they're going to get caught in it. An evil man is snared by his own sin. That's what we're saying there. But a righteous one can sing and be glad. I hope you can sing and be glad, even in the midst of this darkness. The righteous care about justice for the poor, but the wicked have no such concern. Isn't that true? Mockers stir up a city, but wise men turn away anger. If a wise man goes to court with a fool, the fool rages and scoffs, and there is no peace. Bloodthirsty men hate a man of integrity and seek to kill the upright. A fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise man keeps himself under control. So you see the the contrast between the wicked, the foolish. uh, One group is completely out of control. And the other group is under control, under God's control. They exercise the fruit of the Spirit, self-control. Have you noticed that certain groups of people are completely out of control? I mean, is there any other description you can make of some of the things we've seen recently on college campuses, in cities, a couple years ago? I mean, I look at some of these verses, and it it begins to make sense, you know. uh, By justice, a king gives a country stability. When you take away justice and undermine the police, well, then, you know, there's no stability. Now, crime is soaring, right? And, and, And all of this is so true. I look at this verse... Mockers stir up a city. We saw a lot of mockers over the last few years stirring up cities, and then, of course, they destroy the city. And who does that benefit? No one. And who does that harm? The actual people who are stirred up. They destroy their own cities. One of the things that's really sad, and I've never been to San Francisco, but I remember years ago I thought about going there because I heard it was a beautiful city, really, at one time. Uh, Now these mockers, those who mock God and his word, have stirred up the city in such, to such an extent that you really can't even go there. I, I read some articles just this week talking about the cesspool that has become uh, or, or the city. The city is, is, is you, you don't even want to go there anymore. Hotels have closed their doors. Restaurants have moved out. Retailers won't continue to do business there. Was this the goal? 
I, I mean, because they achieved it if it was. Now they have a city. And it's not just San Francisco. It's Portland. It's Seattle. It's becoming Philadelphia. New York, for sure. I mean, you see the evil and the wicked men and women who have developed this way of doing things have destroyed cities and destroyed the lives of many people. So that's what we're told here. But notice a wise man turns away anger. A wise man brings peace. And you look at some of the states that are being ruled by conservatives who hold the biblical principles, even if they're not Christians, many of them are. You look at certain states, they're thriving. Why? Because wise people turn away all of that nonsense. They don't stir it up. They bring peace, not anger. And of course, the, all of these verses that we read are true, and a fool does give full vent to his anger. So if you allow yourself to give full vent to how you feel your anger, uh, you are certainly being foolish, because as we see, a wise man keeps himself under control. So all of our choices, they affect everyone around us. Amen? Okay. Let's go a little further here, verses 12 through 14. If a ruler listens to lies, all his officials become wicked. Check that box. This poor man, or the poor man and the oppressor, have this in common. The Lord gives sight to the eyes of both. If a king judges the poor with fairness, his throne will always be secure. So... All of these verses tell us something that is so true, that those in authority set the moral standard for their subjects who are constantly watching. See, our society, it always goes from the top down. No one will ever convince me otherwise. In a church, if there's a problem with ambition, starts at the top. I'll never believe that a church where people are ambitious for position, I'll never believe that the pastor isn't. Somewhere that, that has to start at the top. It doesn't start at the bottom. It starts at the top. That's true in a church, and it's true in a nation. It's true in a state. It's true in a culture. When there's wickedness at the top, it makes its way down. Everyone's watching our leaders to see what's right and what's wrong, and when our leaders setting that moral standard set it as wickedness, are we surprised when the nation is caught up in perversity and wickedness? I've heard that we get the leaders we, de we deserve, and I think that's true. But clearly, the leaders are the ones that influence the culture. But of course, we know God is in control. Verses 15 through 21, chapter 29. The rod of correction imparts wisdom but a child left to himself disgraces his mother. And when the wicked thrive, so does sin. The righteous will see their downfall. Discipline your son, and he will give you peace. He will bring delight to your soul. Where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint. But blessed is he who keeps the law. A servant cannot be corrected by mere words, though he understands he will not respond. Do you see a man who speaks in haste? There is more hope for a fool than for him. We've seen that proper before in our studies. If a man pampers his servant from youth, he will bring grief in the end. That idea of sort of 
spoiling someone who either works for you or even your own children, that idea of sort of enabling them to be pampered. In Spanish, it's mimado, you know? It's this idea that, you know, you're just making it real easy for everybody. Uh, You know, that doesn't help people. They need to experience life, and they need to experience it for themselves. And so, this really has to do with the importance of disciplining your children and giving them godly direction. All of these Proverbs point us in the direction of disciplining children appropriately. And as you read through those Proverbs, the ones in verses 22 through 24, excuse me, 15 through 21, you'll see it is truly important to discipline children. That means you have to disappoint them sometimes. I know parents don't want to be the bad guy. I've heard parents say, I don't want to be the bad guy. You are the bad guy. You're the bad guy. I used to say that as an assistant pastor. I used to say all the time in New York, I used to say, well, I don't want to be the bad guy, but I'm the bad guy. My job is to, you know, have to deal with things that no one wants to deal with and tell people no, imagine that, you know. And some parents, they just, they can't say no. They, they, they don't know how to uh, keep their children uh, under control, and it's because they give them too much, you know. I, listen, you have to discipline. And that is brought out in the book of Proverbs over and over again, certainly here, and again, verses 15 through 21. Now, here's what we do know, verses 22 through 24 An angry man stirs up dissension. And a hot-tempered one commits many sins. A man's pride brings him low. Notice that. You'd think it brings you up. No, it brings you low. But a man of lowly spirit gains honor. It's that idea of the Lord resisting the proud but exalting the humble, really. Verse 24, the accomplice of a thief is, in his, is his own enemy. The accomplice of a thief is his own enemy. He is put under oath and dare not testify. So what do these verses tell us? It tells us that our inward character will eventually become our outward reputation. What happens in our hearts eventually becomes who we are. We, we become the people that we really are on the outside eventually, even if you try to hide it. And notice, if you're an angry person, you're going to commit many sins. So how do you deal with it? If you're an angry person, how do you deal with it? Well, first thing I would say, counseling-wise, find out why you're so angry. Try to get to the bottom of what makes you so angry. If you say everything, well, then you really got issues. But um, is it sin in other people's lives gets you angry? Could it be that there may be some of that in your own life? What is causing you to be so angry? Because as we see, an angry man stirs up dissension. A man's pride brings him low, right? A man of lowly spirit gains honor. So be humble, not proud. I like this one. An accomplice of a thief is his own enemy. And that's because he helped out a thief. And guess what? If he's put under oath, he dare not say anything. He dare not testify. He's going to incriminate himself because he was involved. And so all of this teaches us that, again, our inward character, who we really are, eventually will come out. So best to be a good and godly person, because that will come out as well. Verses 25 through 26, here we go, the verse that kind of sums up the entire study this evening. Fear of man will prove to be a snare, a trap, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. Many seek an audience with a ruler, but it is from the Lord that man gets justice. Now what this is 
contrasting here is fearing others, that is mankind, those men and women around you, fearing them and not fearing God, seeking an audience with a human ruler, but not looking to God to get justice. So, so here's what you need to do. Fear, fear, reverence, respect, concern with pleasing. Describe it however you want. If your goal in life is to please those around you, impress those around you, that's a trap. That's a snare. It's like jumping into a pit. Contrast that with the safety that comes to the person that trusts in God. Seeking an audience with a ruler, that is looking for a ruler to bail you out, looking for a man or a woman to help you versus going to God to get justice. So we need to be the people that fear God more than we fear men. I said this, I believe it was last week. We will fear, or excuse me, we will serve that which we fear the most. If you fear God, you'll serve God. If you fear man, you'll serve man. And this verse is so powerful. It's one of those ones that could go up on the fridge. All right, finally, the last verse of tonight's study in verse 27 There is no middle ground between the righteous and the wicked. We need to understand this. And verse 27 makes it clear. If you think that you can be a little of both or be wicked and still be counted among the righteous, it doesn't work that way. Look at verse 27. Here we have it. It couldn't be more black and white. The righteous detest the dishonest. That's true. We do. (laughs) The wicked detest the upright. You're never going to get people who are wicked and righteous together. And that's the problem we find ourselves in today in our world, especially in our nation. It's the reason we're so divided. Now, division is bad for a nation, but it's necessary when it comes to righteousness and wickedness. And, and so this is why we find ourselves in the situation we're in. There are people that are bent on wickedness and people who are truly righteous or seeking to be righteous and do what's right. You can sum it up to those who want to do what's wrong and those that, that want to do what's right. Is it any wonder why we can't get along? You know, I mean, there's got to be a part of each of us that says, well, why don't we just take all the wicked people, let them all go to California, and take the righteous out of California and move them over here? Why don't we just draw a line down the, <laughs> down the middle, you know? But that's kind of what's happening. You've got people moving from a blue state like California to Texas and to Florida, and, you know, vice versa, I guess, although most people are moving out. Uh, and we're set up now with what we call blue states and red states, Right? Now, why is that? Because people want to live a certain way, either wicked or righteous. So I truly don't know what the end result will be for our culture, for our nation, in, in, in the sense that, like, we're really, we're in trouble. But our only other choice would be to give in to the wicked and live in a wicked nation, then God will destroy all of us. That's what happened in Sodom and Gomorrah in the city of the plains. I would rather be among the righteous as a poor person or a person of less influence and and know that even in the midst of a blue state, because we do live in a blue state, we're living for God. Amen? Think about the early church. They lived in the Roman Empire. Did it get any more wicked than the Roman Empire? And yet they were able to turn the world, as the scripture says, upside down. And that was because they held true to their beliefs. They feared God more than they feared man. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to shine our light, to live our lives in such a way that honors you and teaches those, and hopefully are at the moment wicked, but will become righteous as they 
confess their sin. As we read tonight, we can confess our sins. We can, be, we can find mercy if we don't continue to conceal those sins but cry out to you and confess them. We pray that for all the wicked. For the time is surely coming when things will get heated up and you'll continue to bring your judgment. You'll continue to bring opportunity for the wicked to repent. But ultimately, there will come a day when the righteous will shine forth and the wicked will be destroyed. We don't wish that for anyone. But we look forward to your justice, your judgment, in your time. Oh, Lord God, continue to put in our hearts the truth of the gospel, the importance of sharing that with others, that all may know and come to know you for your glory and for their blessing. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.